Let me remind you this morning of the time of Jesus' teaching on the vine and the vine dresser. Chapters 13 and 14, I think it's been the last two months or so that we've been in those chapters, about five or six weeks. Those um, passages talk about Jesus in the upper room. Luke calls it an upper room. That time of the washing of the disciples' feet, the last supper, the beginning of the Lord's Supper there, the warning of the betrayal, Judas had left the room. Jesus spoke of his uh, leaving them, his death, and his return. He spoke of preparation of a, a dwelling place for them that would be in heaven that they would look forward to. He said that he would not leave them alone, rather that um, the Spirit of God would come and indwell them. And he would teach them and he would bring them peace. And obedience would bring comfort and peace as well. Last week, as Chris finished the service, he read that last phrase in verse 14 that says, Rise, let us go from here. I was looking for that as a kind of some help as far as where then Jesus was as he taught these next couple chapters. And there's not a whole lot there. Um, I kind of jotted down some ideas. Either they were uh, preparing the room to leave, Or they had left and were walking out into the night and he was teaching them as a rabbi or teacher would do and teaching them as they walked towards the garden. I thought for a little bit as uh, the idea that perhaps as they were coming into the garden he was teaching this. But chapter 18 says at the end of the next two chapters, three chapters, they were approaching the Valley Kidron and cross that into the garden. So they weren't there yet. So somewhere between the upper room and the garden, Jesus taught these next couple of chapters, I guess. At least we understand a little bit of what has been on their mind and in their minds as he's coming to this where he's teaching today. As we come to what we call the 15th chapter of John's account of Jesus' life, John records instructions for three crucial relationships in the believer's life. In this uh, message that he gives them, we will see how we should be rightly related to Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today, verses 1 to 11. And the key word, as we were reading, if you caught it a little bit earlier, is what? Abide. Okay, we ought to read it all over again and make sure that you caught that. Either abide or remain. Eleven verses, ten times that word appears. You just kind of over and over again hear it. The second section is that that we be rightly related to each other. That will be next week. Verses 12 to 17 and the key word or the repeated word in that passage is love. Four times in six verses that word is mentioned. And then being rightly related to the world starting in verse 18 and into the very beginning of chapter 16. And the, interestingly the, the word that is repeated there is the word hate. Seven times in those ten verses. 
Today, as I said, we're just going to look at that very first one. In the beginning of this chapter, as we get started, Jesus gives us that seventh I am. I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. We've referred to them before. I think I've put them in notes a couple of times as we've gone through our study so far. Seven different I am's. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, both of those in chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life in chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14. And then here in chapter 15, I am the true vine, and Jesus, or the Father, is the vine dresser. In the Old Testament, Israel was called the choice vine, on which God lavished care and attention. Now, there's several different uh, passages that refer to it, and we'll touch on a little bit of them. But in Psalm 80, just one verse here, verse 8, we read, You brought a vine out of Egypt, and you drove out the nations, and you planted it. Now, the writer there, the spirit as he moved these writers to put this down, was not talking about a literal vine, obviously. He was talking about Israel. The nation, as it came up out of Egypt, and it was planted there. God was going to bless it. God was going to use it. He talks about it again in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea. All of them give accounts of the nation as the choice vine. But the nation did not bear fruit as God desired. Because they were not faithful. In today's passage, Jesus, as the true vine, fulfills what God has intended For Israel, God the Father is the gardener, the vine dresser. It was God the Father who was speaking in the Old Testament and who said he had brought the nation up and placed it in there as the as the true vine. Now he is the vine dresser. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. It's a reminder, but it's a replacement that takes place. Not replacement theology here. Don't misunderstand. But Jesus is the, uh, the source here of getting that grace that he had desired. God had desired to give out to the world through Israel. Jesus becomes that source because Israel had failed. Chuck Swindoll, in his comments on this chapter, gives four observations that I think will help us, help our understanding. Now, some of you might cringe at one or two of these. If you do, that's all right. I'll, I'll explain it to you as we go through the message. Please don't throw anything if you disagree with me, but I'm just relating Chuck's words here. Four observations that will help our understanding. Number one, this passage applies to believers only. Number two, Jesus draws heavily on the metaphor of the vineyard. Number three, the primary subject subject of Jesus' teaching is abiding, not bearing fruit. And number four, the illustration would be familiar to every one of the disciples and all of John's readers. Now let us get into the text before us. Again, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser, Jesus says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
As we mentioned earlier, God's plan was to take his word to the world through the nation of Israel, having placed them in the promised land and shown them his grace. But Israel failed at God's plan, and Jesus declares himself here the true vine, taking the place, if you will, of the nation of Israel to get the grace message out to the world. Jesus is the true vine. Now, I'm going back again into the Old Testament to help us to see a little bit of the parabolic teaching that he's giving us here. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7 read, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, he cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. It will make a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. The briars and the thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness. But behold, an outcry. God used that picture of the vineyard as he was talking about Israel. And don't don't try to take every little explanation there, every little thought that he gives, and try to tie it to something that happened in Israel's history. Generally, he planted a vineyard, he put it in a place that was there, he blessed it in a way that it should have produced fruit, but it didn't. And God had to uh, allow it to be taken into captivity, uh, dealt with as an uh, unfaithful child. Now, the father, the vine dresser, turned from the unproductive vineyard. But he is also going to tend the flourishing vineyard of the son. Go with me to that second verse we just read. Every branch in me. I'm going to pause right there. Jesus speaks here about the branches being in him. Though you can make a case in this passage and in the wording for building or encouraging his branches here, as well as for cutting them away, I hold to the former, the idea of building and encouraging the branches. John uses the same term, iro, in the Greek, which means to take away or to lift up from the ground in both ways in his gospel account. Now, the first reason I take this as lifting up, encouraging, is that the theme here seems to be the concept of the vine dresser nurturing the vine. The goal for the vine is that it produce fruit. Now, I said as we were looking at this, that's not the prime message that we produce fruit. The prime message is abiding. But if we abide, if the nation abided in the Father, if we abide in the Son, we will produce fruit. The concept of this 
vine dresser is nurturing the vine. Second, at the growing time of the year, the vine dresser would rarely be cutting at the vines. Rather, pruning, uh, or carrying, if you will, pruning can be understood as lifting up, carrying strings to lift those branches up to the trellis to train the branch to grow right. The father's care and training seems to be the theme that's here. Now, Jesus, as he's talking to the disciples, and again, as he goes a little bit further in this understanding of the parable, says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And as he's talking about them, about the vine, and about how they are going to be in the vine, and he is going to work with them in the vine, he says, you are already clean. The Lord is reassuring the disciples that they are already clean, believers as branches. Remember, um, Judas had already left at this time. The word for clean in verse 3 is the same verb for the word prune in verse 2. They come together in this spot. This came from Jesus speaking to the disciples, their belief in him and their change in their lives. That's where the abiding comes. That's where the the strengthening comes. That's where the encouragement comes. Then in verse 4, he tells them, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm very much a person who keeps up with things that are going on in the world today as far as the news and all of those things. And a lot of times we hear about um, polls that are taken, people that refer to polls, all of the different ones that are out there. And my mind's going blank right now and listing them, but you know which ones I'm talking about. A lot of times they're given in politics, but other times as well. And I was listening to a, a, a report, a recording of about polls here this week, and one of them talked about uh, the people that were included in them and how they described themselves. And it described over 50% of the people there as non-practicing Christians. Now, I need to tell you, that's an oxymoron. Those things don't go together. Jesus said, if you abide in me you will bear much fruit. If there are believers today that are not bearing fruit, pause, comma, make sure you're with me, they are not abiding, perhaps they don't know Christ as Savior. Don't call them believers, small b. They are people who have never trusted Christ. Jesus is speaking to us here. He's speaking to the disciples and to carry that over to us who know him as Savior. And he says, you abide in me. What does that mean to abide? What does that mean to be there with us? Back in John chapter 1, John and Andrew, when they first met Jesus, when they heard Jesus teaching They said to Jesus, Teacher, where are you dwelling? Where are you staying? Where are you abiding tonight? And Jesus said, Come and see. 
the concept here is life for a believer is done within the work and person of Jesus Christ. He is in us. We are in Him. He is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, of course, is at the right hand of the Father on high. We know that by the description in the book of Hebrews. But the Spirit has been given to us and He dwells within us. He abides within us. That takes place at salvation. At the age of nine, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And at that time, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence within me. I hope he's been pleased with my life overall. Probably there are times in my life, just as at your, in your life, that we were not abiding in the right way. But we were clean as far as our salvation, and we were his. And we are his. This is a picture of what often was used by Paul later on in his writings, and theological people call it the concept of positional truth. He described this positional truth as in me, with Christ. We in him and he in us. The believer's relationship with Christ is such that God treats us, each of us, as he would Jesus. Because the Spirit dwells within us. He is, if you will, our credential in this life. Now let me talk to you a little bit about credentials. A little bit after 9-11, I was driving across the state of New Jersey on my way to a hospital to visit someone who was there in the hospital, going to have surgery or, or sick or, or something. But I was headed to that hospital and I was crossing the state of New Jersey, going on one of the highways that was there. And there's an interesting thing that I noticed later on a map. The highway goes up to a uh, just a, a blank spot there on the map and then it starts again on the other side. Well... You know, you just think it's going through there. But there, Don understands this, there is a huge military base. And uh, during that time period, it was used actually as the staging point for many of most of the troops that went from here over into Iraq. And it was used as the refueling station for the jets that went up to refuel our jets that went on their way over to the Middle East. So just to give you an idea, I was driving on this highway and all of a sudden, never been there before, lived in the state for nine years, never been there before. But all of a sudden I was in this little tight line heading into a military base right after 9-11. I didn't have any credentials. I, I didn't have anything to get me through this. I thought, how can I, I can't turn to the right, I can't turn to the left. There were, there were, uh, you know, lines on both sides and there were cars in front of me and cars behind me and I was getting closer and closer to this, this little booth where there were soldiers standing and they had these things called guns. <laughs> and you had a fear during that time. And another thing that gave me a fear was that that vehicle that was just beyond the booth with that soldier sitting on the top of it with this helmet on and this very large machine gun aimed right at my car. At least that's the way I saw it. I I don't know. (laughs) Now, 
It would have been fine if I had had credentials like the other guys who were driving up there and who pulled out their wallets and showed them something. They waved them on. It would have been fine if I had had the president of the United States in my car with me. I could have said, hey, I don't have any credentials, but I got him. If I'd had the secretary of defense or one of the generals, I would have been great. But I didn't have anybody like that. We don't have written credentials. We have the Spirit of God living within us. He is our credential. He changes us. He makes our lives what they should be as we abide in Him. And He takes us and uses us as we live in His midst. Some of you are saying, what happened? Well, honestly, I didn't get shot and killed. As you can see, I panicked, normal, you know, all-American panic. I drove up to the guy and began blurting out, I'm a minister, I'm on my way to a hospital, I got in the wrong, how do I, and he laughed. (laughs) Thanks, appreciate that, you know. He said, yeah, just go up here, turn around and head back. And I went up and turned around and got out and I drove as fastly as I could away. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and I'm telling you, that machine gun was still aimed at me all the... Now, the Holy Spirit in me and us in Him, the credentials of who we are, we are a child of God. We are His. And we have access to the greatest benefits that anyone could ever have. And we read about them in his word. Now go with me to verse 4. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus points to the position of the disciples and us as believers, as in me. And that starts the relationship. The Savior points out what we should, that we should abide in Him as He is in us. It's a living relationship. Abiding, listen now, abiding is different than being saved. But it only comes if we are saved. He takes up residence in our lives at that time. It's not a later time. It's not a second blessing. It's not other, some other filling. We get the Holy Spirit at that time. Does He get all of us? Not necessarily. But He has possession. The question is just whether or not we live in the reality of that abiding. Jesus saves us. We must abide in Him. He never says to us, Now listen to me. He never says to us, bear fruit. He says that if we abide in Him, we will bear fruit. We have a tree in our backyard that was there when we moved in a little over a year ago. I looked at it and it it appeared, and I I told Nola, I I said, that looks to me like an apple tree. I'd had apple trees before. I said, the leaves, etc., it looks like an apple tree. But there was no fruit on it. About a month later... Those blossoms began to turn into apples. And I saw the fruit, and I was sure then what the tree was. 
Jesus doesn't tell us or the disciples that we should produce fruit. He says, abide and it will just happen. And as we abide and it happens, people will look at us and they will say, that person is different. They have something within them that makes them different than others around them. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, there it is, you can do nothing. Have you ever had that feeling that we, you couldn't do anything? I've been in that place where I decided to do things that I thought were what I should do. Not really wrong things, right things done, but perhaps in the wrong way. In the power of me, not done by him, as he desires to do it. What a difference when he works and he does the work through us and he gets the glory. Verse number eight, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We might complain in our lives of barrenness or fruitlessness. Sometimes Christians do that. We feel cold or separated from our Savior. But let me help you to understand that we are never apart from the Savior. We might be out of communion with Him. We might be meager in our abiding and in our relationship and in our fellowship with Him. And that keeps us from producing fruit that is natural for the vine. But we are never without him. The Spirit of God has dwelt within me since that day when I was nine years old. He's never left me. And I praise him for that. Now, there's quite a debate that's been waged over the years about verse 6. Some people believe that, let's read it, verse number 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Some people believe that anyone who does not abide in me, as it says in verse 6, speaks of believers who have been unfaithful, who have lost their salvation. Now, if you've never seen this verse, I want to take you back to a verse that's very, very familiar, perhaps to our hearings. John chapter 10, just back a a few verses, chapters. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. I love that. I love that picture of us being held in his hand. Notice he does not say that we are holding on to his hand. When my son, who is old now, which means that I am older, thank you. When my son was learning to walk, we lived across the street from a, or across the parking lot from the church that I was youth pastor at up in Highland, Indiana. 
And he was learning to walk, and often he would walk with me across the blacktop parking lot, very smooth, a good place to work on walking, headed towards the church. We would walk across there, and he'd go into the office with me to get something or whatever, and then I'd come back, and we'd walk back. And he loved to hold my hand. Well, he didn't love to, but I had him hold my hand as we walked. And as I put my hand down, he grabbed my little finger. Now, I knew how he walked. I knew it wasn't a wise thing just to leave it at that. So as he held on to my little finger, I let my the rest of my hand wrap around his hand. And as we walked across that parking lot, invariably he would stumble and trip. Now, if he had just been holding on to my finger, what would have happened? He would have let go. And he would have gone down. But you see, he was in my hand. And as he would stumble, I would lift up. And he never hit his knee. He never got bruised. Because he was in his father's hand. You and I, if we know Christ as Savior, are in the father's hand hand he will always lift us up he will always grab hold when we let go it doesn't mean we're never going to hurt in our life it doesn't mean we're never going to have problems in our life but it means he's going to be there to lift us to encourage us to strengthen us other people suggest that these branches represent those who never genuinely believed in Jesus. But in verse 2, as Jesus is starting this conversation with the disciples, he says to them, every branch in me. He's talking about all of us there who are in him. He's talking about this idea of salvation. Verse 3 carries it on even further when he says, already... You are clean, spiritually clean. You have been cleansed. You are my family because of the word that I have spoken to you. Likely, Jesus was referring to Ezekiel's illustration back in Ezekiel chapter 15. I'm taking you places I know that you haven't read or seen for a long, long time. But Ezekiel chapter 15, listen as I read you these five verses. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, How does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do you take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred. Is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it is charred? Can it ever be used for anything? The point there of that parable is Israel was a useless vine that was only worthwhile as God used it. And at this time in Israel's life, they were coming to the place where it was going to be set aside and was going to be useless to be used for anything. The picture there for us is to understand That as a believer, 
We can be out of fellowship. We can be to the place to where our life is so much in sin that God eventually takes us home. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We don't know that. We don't understand that. We are not, we're not the ones to judge that. But God in His way might do that. But if we are abiding in His presence, we can be that which bears fruit in our lives. Now, don't go too far on the idea of the quotes from the Old Testament, the parables that are there. Warren Wiersbe says it, says it well. It's unwise to build theological doctrine on a parable or an allegory. Jesus was teaching one main truth. The fruitful life of the believer, we shouldn't press details too much on that Old Testament passage, but just help us to understand if we are not connected If we are not abiding, we are worthless, if you will, in our lives. But according to verse 8 of this passage, if we abide in Christ, we will accomplish what our purpose is, and that is to bring glory to our God. Verse 8, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You see, when fruit comes... We can look back and say, no, it's, it's not me. No, it's not what I've done. God saved me. God used me. I'm a tool. I'm just a piece of wood that he has shaped and used for his glory. Now, let's get to the last part of these verses. The fruit of being in me. Verse 6, as we read, pointed out what would happen if we don't abide in him. Anyone who does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. Now, I, I don't believe this is a picture of being judged and thrown into a fire and waste. He just is pointing out here, he's pointing out here that Once we have been transformed, we are transformed from the inside and we will be fruitful. Jesus is not emphasizing negative things to the disciples at this time. He's already been shaking their world, if you will. Remember, he had told them, I'm going to leave you. You're going to be on your own. Told them he was going to die. Told them that he would come back, but they didn't understand that he they were shaken by some of these things. He told them that one of them was going to be a betrayer. But in the midst of that, he shifted things and began to say, wait a minute, I'm sending the Spirit to live within you. Do you do you know, understand the difference of what happened from the Old Testament to the New Testament? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon believers at times for a specific purpose. He did not indwell them. But when Jesus left this earth, the Holy Spirit took up residence within all of us who know Christ as Savior. We don't have God possibly with us at times. We have Him within us at all times. That's why Jesus said, oh, you don't understand how much better it will be when I go to the Father. Because He gave us the Spirit. As we abide in Jesus, we begin to become Christ-like in our character. We are transformed from the inside out. 
how we act, how we live, how we talk, how we witness, comes as God changes us on the inside. Look at verse 7 with me, if you will. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, we looked at this concept uh, a while back as, as I preached a few weeks ago. When he changes us, there is, there it is, a natu- it is natural for our actions to change. If he changes us on the inside, it's natural for our actions to change. Our minds are changed to dwell on the things that God thinks. The heart begins to reflect on the values of God. And when our heart affects our minds and we think as the Savior, our request and prayer are consistent with God's plan. That's why we can, He can say to us, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, those are big ifs there, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Whatever you wish as you understand As God changes us, as God puts our desires in line with his. And then verse 8, by this is the Father glorified. Bearing fruit, yes, but that comes as we abide. Here's the outcome. Abide in his love, live out his love. Keep the Father's command, live in his joy. So if we've trusted Christ, our eternal destiny is set You've been chosen of God and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. And I love the picture that Jesus gives when he says this uh, back in 10, 28 and 29. Sorry, going backwards. But he says in there, you're in my hand. He also says you're in the father's hand. It's like there's two hands. But then he says, we're one. We're right there in. In his hand. Your position is secure, but your production is another thing. If we abide in Christ, in our Savior, four things here are promised. Number one, verse seven, our prayers will be answered. Not not like a genie, I, I mentioned some weeks ago. But as we abide in him, we become more like him and we ask for those things that are in accordance with his will. Just as Jesus did. Jesus said, Lord, I, I really, if there's any other way, I don't want to go to the cross, but... I know what is right. Nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus was expressing out of his humanness that thought. Perhaps out of the reality that he was going to be, have his back, had God's back turned on him, if you will, during that time when he took sin upon himself. But he understood the plan. And in this, just as Jesus did, God is glorified. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We abide which causes us to follow his commands just as Jesus did. And we bring glory to the Father just as Jesus did. And then verse 10. Love is stimulated. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You say, well, why did he zero in on love? What was the last thing he said? Back in verse uh, chapter 13 to the disciples. Oh, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So he goes back to that again. He's trying to reteach them. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Love is stimulated. When a vine is healthy, it produces fruit. Grape vines produces grapes quite easily. 
Grapevines have trouble producing strawberries. That's not the fruit that's within them. We are to produce love because God is love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. We live out love because we get our nature from the vine, from Jesus. And then, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Joy will overflow out of our lives. It's impossible to do in the, anything in the Christian life without abiding in Christ. Without dwelling in the reality that he is within us. Without dwelling in the reality that he has purchased us. And he is making us what he wants us to be and using us in the way that he desires. I can testify to that. And I'm sure that you can as well. To live that way, to live out of the blessing of God, will bring no lasting fruit and bring no glory to God. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Abide in me, Jesus said. That's for us. That's for us. If you're here today... You say, well, you've been talking and you said it was, it was for believers only. And I'm here listening and I'm a, a seeker and I, I, I never experienced that time where I asked Jesus Christ to come in, make me his child. Well, we've just pointed out some of the blessings of the Christian life. And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never become a child of God. Don't leave this place. After all, it's raining. You don't want to go outside in this. Don't leave this place. Come and speak to one of the elders or one of the ones who are at the door. Ask them how you can become a part of God's family. Not a member of this church. A part of God's family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which your spirit guides us to understand it. We thank you for the blessing that you have taken up residence within us when we place our faith in you. Father, I pray that we as individuals would be faithful, would be abiding, would be serving, bearing fruit as we abide. And Lord, loving and living out joy in our lives. Encourage us today. And Lord, please don't let anyone leave this place with a huge emptiness within their lives because they've never become your child. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.